This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And you know, one thing I'm always trying to learn more about is food preservation. So obviously food in a supermarket, specifically on the produce shelves, it doesn't stay there forever. You know, it's got a shelf life. Um, it's Sometimes it's picked early, sometimes it's picked late. It really just depends on that certain produce. But we've got a lot of food waste going on right now, and yet we've got, I think, something like 9 billion mouths to feed. And the problem is we're producing almost enough food, but getting that food to the right people is extremely tricky. And also, we're wasting a lot of food, whether that's at a produce market or even at home. I know Ali and I, we struggle with um, not wasting food. Like sometimes we'll have leftovers in the fridge that stay in there for like two or three weeks. And we look at them and we're like, well, yeah, we're throwing that away. There's mold on it. So it's just a problem that we all kind of face. Uh, how do we decrease the amount of food waste we have so we can um, both A, feed everybody here on the planet and also B, reduce our environmental footprint. And maybe you're like me and you're wondering, um, how is food waste um, fixed? Like, how do we reduce our impact? How do farmers and ranchers and even big industry companies, how do they preserve produce? Um, are, you know, best buy dates actually effective? Can you follow them? Do you not need to follow them? And a question I get a lot is, um, you know, are there actually wax on apples that helps them stay fresher longer? What about avocados? You know, you cut um, a good old fresh avocado for some avocado toast, and then the next thing you know, it's black, it's brown, and you're like, uh, I don't want to make some black guac. So, yeah, these are all really good questions that people are always trying to learn more about. And the thing is, there are a bunch of companies out there trying to fix this to where we have less food waste, we are more responsible with our food, um, companies are more responsible with how they pick and how they sell their food and how they distribute it. I know um, 
I know Chipotle gets a bad rap, and they do a lot of not-so-great stuff when it comes to talking about stuff going on going on in the ag industry, um, and they've had like a lot of recalls with lettuce and stuff like that, but they try to buy locally when they can. And I think a lot of companies are starting to do that, and that's great because that also helps reduce food waste. And so to learn more about food waste and how we can reduce it and what companies are doing, we are going to talk today with Jess Vieira from a company called Appeal. That's Appeal, like A-P-E-E-L, and she is the Director of Sustainability. She has actually been working kind of in the environmental side of companies for a while. She actually worked at Dow Chemical um, several years ago. She has got her, let's see, I'm reading her bio right now. She received her bachelor's and master's degree um, and her PhD from the University of California, and she is a wealth of knowledge with what they are doing at Appeal. She's also done a a couple of TED Talks, which is super cool. She did one in Santa Barbara, and it was kind of, the way she was describing it, it wasn't a typical TED Talk. It was kind of like a panel where people would actually ask them questions and stuff. Uh, So that was super fascinating, but she has recently worked with the United Nations Food System Summit on how exactly food systems can kind of function better, how we can do it to um, reduce food waste and feed people that are going hungry in countries around the world. So Jess and I are going to talk today a lot about Appeal's story, her background, how supply chains work, um, and how we're able to get food you know, from the farm to the table and make it stay as fresh for as long as possible, and how food preservation works, how we're able to do it with certain chemicals, and how Appeal is doing it with both um, chemicals and things already provided in nature. Um, Like their website's really cool, and it shows a lot of great produce that they have through Appeal, um, like lemons, apples, avocados. It stays fresher for sometimes twice as long as untreated produce. And they're actually doing this really cool thing over on their Instagram where they are um, kind of encouraging people, consumers like you and I, to reduce their food waste, which a whole lot of really good ideas you can do on watching your food, on knowing when your food is expired, when it's not. Uh, Like, I I had absolutely no clue about this, but actually our first guest on the podcast um, was a dairy farmer, and she was telling us how with cheese, you know, cheese always gets moldy in the fridge, Um, you can actually just cut off the part of cheese that has mold on it and the rest of it is fine. I had no clue about that and that has saved Allie and I so much um, in terms of cheese because now it's like, instead of throwing away the whole thing, if a tiny little speck of mold is on there, we just cut it off and we eat the rest of it. So I think that's super cool. Uh, So yeah, go check out Appeal. It's A-P-E-E-L.com. They have a lot of great content on what they're doing and also how you can get involved to reduce your um, food waste footprint. Uh, So yeah, check them out. This was a super fun conversation with Jess. Um, Learned a whole lot about food sustainability and ways we can keep food fresh, including uh, we talked really quickly about kind of how GMOs play into the whole thing because there are apples now, which, you know, if you cut an apple open, um, it starts to brown or it starts to oxidize really quickly. And now there are GMOs out there where they don't do that. <laughs> and, and we even talk about how uh, when it comes to like reducing our environmental footprint, uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is whenever you go to a grocery store and there is like an orange for sale, but they've already peeled it. 
And instead of just having an orange, you know, set out on the counter or something um, that's naturally protected by the, um, the the orange peel, it's in a, a peeled orange is in a plastic container. And I'm like, we don't need that. It's already like it is it so hard to peel an orange? So anyway, don't buy one of those oranges that's in a plastic container. So this is episode, oh shoot, what is it? Is it episode 105 or 106? I'm looking right now. It is episode 105 with Jess Vieira from Appeal. I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening, and on with the show. All right, well, Jess Vera, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Great. Yeah, Trevor, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so you work with a really cool company called Appeal. Um, you guys deal with food preservation, stuff like that, so we'll chat with you. You've talked a lot. You've worked with, like, the UN Food Security Council or, food, or UN Food System Summit. You did a TEDx thing, a TEDx talk I saw. So sounds like you've got a lot of experience when it comes with food preservation and sustainability. Yeah, yeah, it's a really exciting space. I have been at Appeal for almost four years now. Um, and since our product is you know, a disruptive technology, we've definitely gotten a lot of opportunities to engage with whether it's policymakers or NGOs or even just consumers who are really excited about this topic. Um, I've been focused on sustainability for a while, but really the last like, four or five years have been focused on food systems, which is such a fascinating area because it really does touch everyone's life. Um, and, you know, it's hard to argue that we shouldn't have more fresh fruits and vegetables in the world, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you kind of got started with work in Appeal. Sure. Um, so I was I was an environmental engineer by training. Mm-hmm. Um, and But what really was interesting to me was how large companies were actually embedding sustainability and environmental management into how they operated. Um, Because I just saw that being a huge opportunity area to really move the needle. Um, So I spent the first couple years of my career at the Dow Chemical Company working on um, environmental footprint management, some of their, I got to help with some of their corporate sustainability goals, um, green infrastructure projects, And I ended up actually going back to grad school here in California at UC Santa Barbara to focus on this method called life cycle assessment, which is used to quantify the environmental impacts of a product or process from cradle to grave. Um, And not just really how how do you use this method and look at the environmental impacts of a product, but how do you make this kind of information useful in product development, in business decisions to really embed it into how organizations um, move forward. And and that really led to me getting involved with Appeal. Um, I had actually, it was probably hard with the wording, but I had spent a couple of summers working at Apple. So one letter different. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. In, uh, in their uh, environmental technologies team, looking at the footprint of their products. Um, so got my hands dirty a little more with life cycle assessment, how they use it, totally different, but you know, equally large and impactful company to Dow. And, and then um, Appeal was, was really just getting started. Um, the founders had all either done um, PhDs or postdocs at UCSB in material science. And 
they had been for a few years building up their R&D capabilities, figuring out how to make the product work, but they were at this inflection point where they needed to start scaling the business and they were trying to figure out how how to ensure that their mission to really reduce waste and create abundance and address food security, how to make sure that all of the other decisions they were making about how to scale things up were also in line with that mission. And so that that's why I ended up coming in to really help with that internal decision-making and add that life cycle perspective and environmental accounting. And now, you know, even looking at social impacts, um, into really everything we do as a business. Gotcha. So, so yeah. th- that's not bad. And that's cool working at Apple. I- I've seen companies even like Apple um, with the new iPhones, they don't have um, the power brick in there anymore or they don't have earbuds or anything because we all have that. So they're trying to reduce like their carbon footprint and that e-waste, which I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently e-waste is a huge thing when it comes to consumer electronics. So that's interesting. Uh, even like big companies like Apple are doing that now. Yeah, they're doing a lot to look at um, like how do we reuse or recycle all of these materials. And a big part of it is actually being able to take the phone apart into all the different components. And they've mm-hmm. developed these cool robots that can do it quickly and efficiently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't think there would be that many parallels between the two, but you know, we're all focused on making the, the systems more efficient and you know, just reducing waste and, and the associated climate impacts. That makes sense. So in terms of like the environmental impact, I know it's like reducing carbon emissions and stuff like that. What are some other things that people might not know of that companies are trying to reduce their impact on the environment? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, we're primarily focused, as you know, on, on food waste. I think that one common misconception about the climate impacts of food waste is I think we all we all assume, you know, we see food waste going to landfills mm-hmm. um, when we're done with it. And we think, okay, that's where, you know, there's methane emissions in landfills. That's a big part of the problem. In reality, the climate impacts from food waste and really any goods that are wasted are primarily all of the emissions generated to make, distribute, um, and potentially use or not use that material that ended up going to waste. So it's actually the emissions on the farm that go into food that we end up not even using and all of that that's baked into the system. And so I think one thing that companies you're starting to see more of, which is really encouraging, um, is not just taking uh, responsibility for what happens within their own operations but actually looking at how the products they develop empower their customers, consumers to re- to reduce waste, to reduce their um, climate impacts, to reduce water use. You know, you see that a lot with like, detergent companies, for example, mm-hmm. talking about how their products can help consumers use less water because that's the bigger impact of their products, even though it's outside of the scope of how they would traditionally kind of report their environmental impact. So really thinking about like how your decisions impact downstream customers or actors, and also like how you're incentivizing your suppliers to, you know, deliver you materials or, or products that can help you reduce your footprint too. Yeah. And that's interesting you say that because I've seen a lot of commercials lately, whether it's like 
um, dishwasher detergent or laundry detergent talking about, hey, if you use this in cold or if you use this detergent instead of like washing your dishes by hand, you'll save a lot of water, you'll save a lot of energy. So that's, I didn't think about that, but that's very interesting how the companies then incentivize their consumers to kind of do, I guess, do their part in reducing their impact on the environment or something like that. And I've even seen websites where you can like calculate. I, I saw one yesterday, actually. You can calculate your carbon footprint and then you can pay that company based on your footprint and they'll offset it with trees and like planting and reforesting nature. And I was like, that's a very interesting concept. So I think more places like that are going to start popping up. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think especially now that we're seeing a lot of companies uh, setting, you know, net zero mm-hmm. carbon commitments. Um I think consumers are one, you know, how can I do that too? And so it's great to see um, that there are tools out there now for to even better understand what your carbon footprint is. Um, I think we have to be careful to make sure that we don't jump right to offsets before thinking through what, what are all the things we can do to first reduce it. Um, But, you know, as a kind of interim solution as we're making that progress and for those like really tough areas that are just going to take a lot of new innovation to get at, I I think carbon offsets are a great way to also increase awareness and provide a way to act on that information. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, offsetting isn't the end all be all because if you do that, you're just not really solving anything, I guess. So sustainability is the name of the game. So here's a two part question for you. How does our current um, supply chain work? And then with Appeal, what is going to be the ideal supply chain where we're not wasting a lot of food and we're being much more kind of environmentally conscious about what we're using, what we're throwing away? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, the produce supply chain has been really optimized with a fixed perishability in mind. So, you know, since produce was grown, you kind of assume, okay, there's there's this much time before it spoils. We've mm-hmm. used different tricks and technologies to address um, that perishability issue at different stages. So, you know, we can get it from farm to export using refrigerated trucks, for example, or um, controlled atmosphere shipping containers, plastic packaging, Um, But for the most part, all of the solutions that have been developed are really focused on specific segments of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. And and because of that, even though that means that you're maybe preventing waste um, within your leg, you aren't necessarily helping the next stage to avoid waste then after more um, resources have been used to get it there. And we see this with, you know, food waste on grocery store shelves, right? You know, the food has been so tightly controlled up until that time. And then it just sits out in ambient conditions or, Mm. you know, you bring it home, it sits on your shelf. Um, And, and that's where most of, at least in high income countries, that's where most of the food waste is occurring. What the appeal technology changes is that we're not just addressing one stage of the supply chain. We're actually changing that perishability rate. Mm, so once our okay. product is applied upstream, we're saying actually the rate at which the produce loses water or oxidizes 
is slowing down. And so you have twice as long um, across the entire supply chain. So then you kind of get to take a step back and say, okay, well, if I have two times as long, how would I optimize this system to avoid more waste, um, to, in some instances, even increase access um, for suppliers who otherwise might not be able to reach higher value markets? And so what we see in these highly um, like optimized supply chains already or very established ones is the largest impacts are reducing waste at that retail stage and then ultimately giving more time to consumers. So we've seen with our in-market products that we've been able to reduce waste by 50% on grocery store shelves um, and, then, and then give additional time to the consumers. And we're working on ways to figure out how we track how much food waste is re- reduced there. That's another data collection challenge, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. Um, but then in supply chains, like in emerging markets where really those upstream stages haven't yet been well optimized, I think there's an even bigger opportunity to, you know, either supplement or avoid the introduction of some of these more resource intensive or missions intensive steps by using appeal as an alternative. So do we need to use as much refrigeration or at as low of temperatures um, if we haven't already optimized for that um, and still make those market connections without compromising on food waste? Um, And then I think the other area that we're excited about is We've launched a product for long English cucumbers where we're actually replacing entirely the plastic shrink wrap that's on the cucumber. Um, So the consumer can still buy, you know, a regular cucumber without the plastic, not have to worry about creating waste in their home, not have to worry about all the upstream impacts of making, of producing that plastic um, and without compromising on, again, that issue of food waste. Nice. Okay. I've seen some stuff um, at supermarkets where there's like a, you can buy a peeled orange in a plastic container. And I'm just thinking like, why is that a thing? Like you have an orange with a natural kind of casing. So why are we going to do something like that with a plot? You're going to have so much waste because of that. But uh, that's very interesting. And do you think, because when I think of like um, the expiration date on food, do you think people need kind of more education on that on kind of the difference between a best buy date and an expiration date on certain packages like milk, for example? Yeah, that's a huge area for food waste. Um, You know, I think we actually have a great Instagram post on that trying to, even though it doesn't apply to produce because produce doesn't really come with an expiration or a best buy Mm -hmm. date. Um, But yeah, like sell by versus best buy versus actual expiration Many of these labels are just recommendations as to the, when it would be, I guess, you're likely to have the best experience with the food, but it's not necessarily a food safety issue. So, yeah, that's a huge opportunity. Um, and, you know, it's challenging because if you're if you're shopping in the grocery store, you're always going to try to buy whichever item has the latest date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it it kind of creates more waste, right? Because then whichever ones have the earliest date, ideally you're selling those first if you're the grocery store and you're trying to reduce waste. Um, but it, it makes it certainly challenging to uh, prevent there being waste in the store. 
Mm, that's true. And what about, I know there's a lot of misconception with like food preservation techniques, like wax on apples and then like tomatoes that are picked early um, so that they ripen and transport. So are there any other misconceptions or kind of, I guess, misinformation that people might have about when it comes to stuff like that? Um, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of the waxes that are on uh, fresh fruits and vegetables today are I mean, largely for aesthetic reasons, they are mm. not necessarily like you, you know, you go to the store, you want the apple that's the shiniest because that looks like it's going to be the crispest or the freshest. Um, but that's not necessarily there to extend shelf life significantly. Um, that's where appeal is is kind of different. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any good other good misconceptions. Um I can circle back if anything pops up later on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. So when it comes to food security, I always think about like how countries can, I don't know, better serve their their um, consumers to make sure they're safe. So what's the whole state of food security right now, especially with COVID going on? Because I know it was crazy whenever we first started about a year ago. So how has it kind of changed since then? Yeah, that's a, another great question. I mean, globally, there's an estimate of 3 billion people who mm -hmm. don't have access to an affordable diet. But even here in the U.S., it's one in nine people who are food insecure. And that was kind of pre-COVID. So these, and I'm, you know, we know that COVID has exacerbated this issue. Um, we'll see, you know, we've seen a lot of movement and support for food banking, food bank systems at this time. Um, but I think that on the one hand, there's, you know, access to food in general, but then the other piece of food security is access to nutritious food. And over the last several years, you've seen a lot of these food banking networks focus on not just more pounds of food donated, but a more nutritious like plate of food mm -hmm. donated. And it's particularly challenging with the, given the fact that fresh produce is highly perishable um, and so spoils fastest. So it's, it's hard, especially if, you know, grocery stores are donating food, the, the avocados that have been sitting on the shelf for <laughs> however long are probably not primed to be donated to the food bank after no one has bought them. Um, and so figuring out, you know, how we, how we distribute, food in a way that also makes these highly nutritious foods affordable um, and de-risks the purchase of them is what is how we think about it at appeal because you if you have a very tight budget you're probably less likely to buy something if there's a, a good a large risk that it's going to go bad before you can eat it but if you have more time maybe you're more confident in managing your your household expenses, but are still able to buy a larger amount of fresh produce for your family that week. Mm, that's a good point. And yeah, because I mean, if you if you're a lot more food insecure, you're going to buy something that might last months because you don't know when your next meal is going to be. So you're going to try to stock up. That's a very good point. So on your website, you guys kind of talk about nature based innovations when it comes to the supply chain. So what are some things you guys have found that you know, is already in nature that kind of helps food stay fresh longer. So what all have you guys found? So when, when our founders and early um, like science teams started looking at this problem, 
they they were comparing different types of fruits and vegetables and saying, like, why is it that a lemon lasts so much longer than a strawberry? Mm-hmm. And since they were material scientists, they, they looked at it at the molecular level. And what they discovered was that when you really zoom in on the peel or skin of, of a fruit or vegetable or really any plant material, they're all made of the same components, but they are structured differently um, in the lemon versus the strawberry. And so that was really the um, kind of foundation for how the technology was developed using um, components that already exist in all of the plant material in the world that we're already consuming in the fruits and vegetables that we eat, and then structuring them in a way that allows them to create that protective shield around a fruit or vegetable to slow down water loss and oxidation really in the same way that a peel or a skin already does. So it's just enhancing the way nature has already solved this problem. You don't pick an apple and it like goes to mush right away, (laughs) you know, because that it has that, that peel or that skin. And, and so we were really just honing in on that and then enhancing that aspect and really, you know, we talk about valorizing nature, that they're, they're really the innovators. And we've, um, we've just really sought to understand it and not so much try to control nature or battle nature, but really work with nature um, in terms of how we've developed our product and, and all really solutions that we work on at at the company. Gotcha. That's awesome. So uh, bringing up the apple, that made me think of something. What is your viewpoint on GMO foods like apples, for example, where they're developed to have traits to let them brown a whole lot or less quickly? So what are your thoughts on that? And when we have not only natural ways to do it, but also this stuff in a lab where we can genetically modify something to where it can last longer, that can also kind of help reduce food waste. Um, great question. I mean, that's that's something that we we definitely have kind of are aware of and, and have a good understanding of, um, as, as an organization, but we don't, we don't really have a strong perspective, um, as a company kind of one way or another about, about GMOs. Um, you know, we definitely have customers that feel strongly one way or another and, mm-hmm. and products that can meet those needs. Um, but, but our, I mean, our, we don't use, um, genetically modified, um, ingredients in our products, but, um, we don't necessarily have a stance on on the industry as a whole. Gotcha. Yeah, I I, I know that that's like a whole other topic because you're either on one side or the or the other. Or sometimes you're a little bit on both, which is very interesting. But I haven't found a lot of those people yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so you worked with the UN Food um, System Summit. I saw. So what was that whole experience like? It's actually still ongoing. So um, this fall in September is the UN Food System Summit, which is, it's not like an annual event. It's a new event that um, was organized this year. Well, started, was started being organized a while ago, but is really, um, you know, happening this year to focus on how we achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals focused on the food system. So we have nine years left to reach the goals by 2030. Um, Certainly there are goals focused on food security. There are goals focused on sustainable production and consumption patterns, um, ecosystems as they relate to food, food production. 
And where appeal comes into this is primarily on the food waste area. So the sustainable development goal 12.3 is to have food loss and waste by 2030. And so we're, we're actually, you know, one of the solutions that can help to reach that goal by partnering with retailers and produce suppliers, um, helping consumers to reduce waste in their homes. And so we're trying to really use, um, all of these dialogues related to the Food System Summit to highlight this focus on prevention solutions too. So not just, you know, we have some great ways to divert food from landfills, um, composting, sending it to anaerobic digestion, using it as animal feed, but the more we can move up the, what's called like the food waste hierarchy, Mm. um, by just preventing waste in the first place, you know, the more efficient the whole supply chain will be, the more value we can unlock since estimates are that that food waste costs roughly $2.6 trillion globally. That's the financial, environmental, and social costs of food waste. And it's all just been baked into the system. So by really reducing that food waste, we're also unlocking value that can allow us to kind of reinvest in the food system. So those are some of the areas that, that we're trying to highlight um, leading up to the UN Food System Summit. And it's the way it's set up is there's four different action tracks and then dialogues that are going on throughout the year globally. Um, and they're asking for calls um, for game-changing solutions that can really help to accelerate our progress towards the sustain- these sustainable development goals. Um, and so I think the, at least for the, the food waste which is in action track two, I think they're going to be um, publishing here in the coming months, kind of what some of these uh, most promising solutions could look like. And then ultimately the member states will get together in September um, for this summit. Oh, awesome. So are there different steps that um, are being developed for like a first world country versus a third world country where there's a country that is very food secure versus a country that's not so much? Uh, yes, um, I would say a big focus on achieving these goals uh, has been public-private partnerships, mm. and so because it's you know since it's a global initiative, they're trying to structure some of these proposals. It seems um, to set companies up to be able to execute within their own context, mm-hmm. but then have a standard format through which like everyone is also making a commitment. Um, so like one of the opportunities on the table is this initiative, the World Resource Institute um, is driving called 100 by 50 by 30. So getting 100 comp- countries to sign up to um, develop stronger pr- public-private partnerships to deliver 50% reduction in food loss and waste by 2030. Okay. Um, And so it, yes, I mean, it really looks very different depending on, and even like which types of food you're really focused on since, you know, a lot of emerging economies are where a lot of, at least for fresh fruits and vegetables, produce is is grown. Um, And so it's a, you know, not just for the consumption markets, but also the upstream food loss and waste on the farms are a big thing there too. Gotcha. Yeah, I can imagine. Are there anything like, you're telling consumers to do like simple steps like composting maybe where they can 
compost their fruits and vegetables and stuff like that for even their gardens or simple steps like that? Uh, yeah, we we actually have this um, great campaign that we just launched yesterday. So we just nice. launched um, called Unwaste Wednesdays. And we're really focused this year on making the connection for consumers between food waste and climate impacts. And so we're announcing a different challenge every Wednesday of a way to reduce food waste in your own home. So um, like this week was all focused on avo genuity, <laughs> so like ingenuity <laughs> with avocados since it was Cinco de Mayo. And we, you know, suspected a lot of people were probably making guac at home. Um, what do you do with the leftover, you know, half avocado or guacamole at the bottom of the bowl? And so everything from like smoothie recipes to face masks to, um, you know, shampoo. And so we were kind of using our social media platforms too, to highlight some of these challenges and also share stats on the, the challenges and issues of food waste at the same time. Um, so if you check out our Instagram, there will be a new one every Wednesday and, um, you know, we're going to be also highlighting good examples that are shared through that platform. Oh, that's handy. That's awesome. You, you guys should do one on cheese because we interviewed um, a dairy farmer months ago and I had no clue about this, but apparently if you have like a block of cheese and a little bit of mold grows on it, you can just cut off that end that the mold's on and the rest is fine. And I had no clue about that. And that saved us so much money when it comes to cheese. I was like, <laughs> that's something you never hear of, but it can save you so much money throughout the year if you're buying blocks of cheese. So I guess mm -hmm. the more you know when it comes to cheese. Yeah, it's a great unwaste example. Oh, yeah, that's so fun. Um, all right. Now, here, here's a thought. Um, one thing that I always think would be a great idea when it comes to like saving food would be portion size, especially like American restaurants here. Because anytime my wife and I travel, um, we go to like Ireland or London or somewhere and portion sizes are a lot smaller and we usually clean our plates really quickly. But here, I feel like we have a lot more food than the normal person eats. So what do you think about portion size? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And you're, I mean, you're touching on a couple issues there, right? Cause mm. part of it's food waste. Part of it is nutrition outcomes, um, being a challenge, not so much on lack of access to nutrition, but more on the obesity end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, which I think was highlighted with COVID. Uh, you know, there was a certain percentage of the U S population that was more vulnerable than you would see in other countries because of how our diets have affected, um, like our health. <laughs> uh, so yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, I would say on the food waste side, I think that's actually probably going to come up in one of our, um, on waste Wednesday, uh, challenges here in the next few weeks, um, is not only, um, you know, doing a better job of like cleaning your plate to avoid food waste, but really thinking about what you put on your plate and how much you put on your plate mm -hmm. and whether you are going to eat that. So, yeah, I mean, I would love to see, I haven't seen anything like this, but I would love to even see restaurants get together and have a commitment about this issue of like what I know it's hard because you don't want to like consumers want to feel like they're getting the same value. So if you cut the meal in half, maybe there's concerns there, but yeah, really 
think through portion sizes, not just for the health outcomes, but for the waste implications as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've always thought about that, especially when you go to like chain restaurants and you can get, I don't know, a huge plate of like chicken tenders and fries for like $9 and you never wind up eating at all. And I'm like, it's a lot of food going to waste there. So yeah, I mean, that's always one of those interesting things that I think would be a very, I guess, simple-ish answer. Yeah. But- it would be interesting to know, um, since ever, you know, most people have been primarily eating at home for the last year. I don't know if we'll have data on this, but it would be interesting to see whether across the board food waste rates for consumers have gone down because we're not eating out so much and therefore don't have, I mean, restaurants are pretty efficient in on, in the, in the kitchen, mm-hmm. um, but in terms of the food waste on the table, yeah, I'd be curious if it's, if it would overall decrease because we're managing it at home instead. Yeah, that would be interesting. That I guess that would be a bright spot that it'd kind of be a result of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so you also, like we talked earlier, you did a TEDx talk at Santa Barbara. What was that whole experience like? I mean, I, there's so many wonderful, super smart people that do TEDx talks. So what was that like? Yeah, it was this cool new format where they have, it's called like a TEDx salon. And so you're actually pulling examples from other TED Talks too, and mm. then guiding a discussion around. So it's it's almost, instead of it just being one talk, it's kind of teeing up a theme, which was okay. related to like food sustainability, and then showing little snippets from other TED Talks, and then engaging the audience in a discussion in between. So the whole event was probably like an hour and a half, I would think. And it was so much more than just a one-way communication. It was really engaging what was, you know, community members in Santa Barbara around these specific issues. And, you know, there were some local business owners focused on specific food products there, people who grow all their own food, um, you know, people or students from the local university. And it's... I thought it was great because you, I think there are very few opportunities to have those discussions too. And it really highlights kind of where the tensions are between Mm. the different, um, everyone, you know, wants a more sustainable food system, but sometimes we don't all agree on exactly what that means or the best way to do that. And so it was really interesting to have an open discussion around that, um, and, and have some of these other examples to, to guide that. That's awesome. What was the preparation like? I've heard preparing for a TEDx talk can be a little intimidating. Uh, So what was that like? Um, There was, yeah, there were definitely a few kind of practice sessions. Uh, I would say the most challenging part of this one was not so much being polished to speak, but not knowing what questions were going to come out of left Mm. field, given what I just described. So uh, you know, reminding yourself to <laughs> take a breath and kind of digest it before <laughs> automatically kind of responding. And, you know, there's always going to be strong voices in the audience. So figuring out how to make sure you're getting all perspectives and kind of the moderating piece um, was was somewhat challenging too. Oh, um, I bet. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I taught for two years and that the, the gap between when you're thinking about answering a question, that silence, 
it feels like it can be two seconds, but it feels like a year because you're just sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to come up with the right answer. I don't need to look like an idiot or have the wrong answer or anything. So that there's a lot of pressure in there. I mean, especially when you're like a subject matter expert. I mean, you've got to, and nine times out of 10, you're going to have the right answer. You just got to work on formulating it and being calm, cool, and confident. Right. And where you can, uh, where you have an answer and distinguishing that from when it's maybe your perspective or your opinion, you know, or Mm -hmm. being comfortable saying that you don't know the answer is an important thing to learn too. Yeah. Sometimes that's, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I think that's more important than like knowing the right answer, like just being able to say, you know, I don't know, but this is what I know and I'll figure it out eventually. So, I mean, the most important, the, the most powerful thing is just being able to say, I don't know. And I feel like a lot of people don't know that now, which is interesting. Yes. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, it's kind of like a, a bell curve in terms of our, our, la- our discomfort with it. You know? Yes. I, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So appeal seems like you guys are doing a lot of really cool stuff. If people want to follow Appeal, go to your website, go on Instagram for the the Food Waste Wednesday things. Where can they go to find you guys at? Yeah, you can find us at uh, www.appeel.com. You can also find our Instagram, which is also um, at Appeal. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, I would say Instagram is definitely where we have the largest um, amount of content focused on on Waste Wednesdays. So definitely check it out there. Um, and we have a sustainability page on our website too. So I'd encourage you to check that out. Reach out to us if you have any good ideas. I mean, we'd love to see your unwaste, unwaste ideas too and to participate in our challenges. Um, I don't want to spoil any, but I'm excited about the one for next week. So. Oh, heck yeah. That'll be cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and look at that avocado one from Cinco de Mayo. That's pretty clever. Great. I like that. Well, cool. Well, Jess, this has been super fun chatting with you about appeal. Uh, Best of luck to what you guys are doing. Obviously, sustainability is going to be the way of the future. So I hope you guys kind of continue to push people to be more environmentally conscious and reduce food waste. So best of luck to you guys. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Trevor, for having me. And yeah, really fun to just talk about sustainability and food system and all these great questions that sometimes I have an answer and sometimes I have to say I don't have an answer (laughs) as we we learn. But, you know, lots of great uh, organizations and people focused on these problems, especially this year with the the Food System Summit. Uh, So a a great, great conversation and looking forward to to seeing your uh, On Waste Wednesday challenge posts coming up. Well, thanks. Yeah, I'm going to have to. I'm going to follow you guys and we'll have to post one. I'm trying to do more and more posts on on Instagram instead of just doing like the, you know, the branded stuff, like trying to do more personal stuff. So we'll have to do an Unwaste Wednesday. So we'll see how that goes. Great. Cool. All right, Jess. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks so much for listening. Again, that was Jess Vieira from Appeal. If you want to learn more about Appeal, go to Appeal, that's A-P-E-E-L dot com. And if you learned a thing or two from this interview, I know I sure did, uh, learn a lot of great content about, you know, what um, different companies are doing to reduce food waste and how, thanks to Appeal, we're going to have avocados, um, apples, and lemons and stuff like that that don't 
um, go to waste as quickly as possible. But if you learned a thing or two, consider sharing this with a friend or family member. The easiest way you can do it is if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, there is usually a share link you can find. It's like a little box with a little arrow. Just click that, you can copy the link and email it or text it to a friend or family member. We will greatly appreciate it. And you know, telling um, people about the show is a great way we can help the show, gain more followers, and help you know educate more people about where their food comes from. So thanks so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode.